welcome to Trainers Talking Truths. This is an ISSA podcast dedicated to exploring the fitness industry and uncovering the whys and hows of personal training. To do that, we'll talk directly to the industry experts and certified trainers. We'll dig into fitness programming, business tactics, nutrition, and more. You'll even hear from current training clients who offer insight from the other side. We've got the fitness industry covered, so turn up the volume and enjoy the drive. Hello, world, and welcome back for another ISSA podcast, Trainers Talking Truths. I am your co-host, Jenny Scott, product developer and master trainer here with ISSA. I'm here with Dan, the man, Duran. What's up, Dan? Well, I'm excited, Jenny. This is going to be an exciting interview. It's one of my favorite topics, especially, well, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag, especially around heart rate variability. So I am really looking forward to this. Absolutely. Today, we are going to be talking to an expert in this industry. I'm super excited. I've actually spoken with him before on some webinars that we've done, Um, but we're going to be talking about wearable technology, um, how we can use it, what it's for, how we can use it to help our clients reach their goals. And our amazing guest today, he is an evidence-based biohacker with a background in exercise science, education, and um, communication. Um, It is Elias Arjan. He is actually the senior vice president of Biostrap. Welcome, Elias. Thank you, Jenny and Dan. It's great to be here. Absolutely. We're super excited to pick your brain and learn a little bit more about the science. For the, so for those of us who like to nerd out, this is the one today. <laughs> yeah, we had All some right. fun on uh, wearables already, but I know we're picking up uh, some new topics here. And yeah, I'm excited to dive into this with you. Absolutely. So let's go ahead and get started. The question that we always ask our, ask our guests, Elias, we want to know, how did you get into fitness and how did you get to where you are now? Uh, I guess uh, the initial uh, story kind of goes back to high school. You know, that kid in your PE class who couldn't do a single pull up or a single push up and just sort of fell onto the gym floor because they had no upper body strength. (laughs) Yeah, that was me. I was that guy. Uh, So kind of when I was 18, you know, I had some inspiration in my life that predominantly came from my uh, grandfather. Uh, who was just extremely healthy, uh, you know, a kind of old farm guy and just sort of inspired me to that I could make myself healthier. Uh, and so I joined the gym. Um, then in college, I studied uh, exercise science and started doing triathlons, was, became a personal trainer. Um, and I really kind of from that point on, I've just always been passionate about health and fitness. Hasn't always been a full-time career of mine, to be quite honest. I've gone in and out of different industries Um, But now I'm really uh, very passionate about the possibilities with health technology, because these are things that weren't available when I was a personal trainer. Uh, There's just so much advancement that's happened in the last 10 or 20 years. Uh, We're capable of doing things with wearable technology and and all of the um, sort of evidence-based wellness products that are coming onto the market. And I'm just passionate about you know, spreading the news and, and empowering people. And I really think coaches have an opportunity that just didn't exist when I was a personal trainer. We had very little tools back then. And yeah. now there's so many tools at their disposal. It's, there's a lot of education for all of us. Uh, and it's a really rapidly moving target. That's awesome. So you mentioned the term wearables, um, wearable technology. What is a wearable? How would somebody know that they have a wearable? So yeah, wearable, uh, it, it kind of sounds self-evident, but maybe not necessarily because right. let's talk about some of the categories. So wearables are usually technologies that you're wearing on your body that are somehow monitoring your health, your movement, 
uh, and giving you some potentially some insights or some data. Now, what makes a wearable different from other types of devices that do that is think about, let's say, for example, implantables. You can actually implant, you know, think about pacemakers. They're implanted in the body and they're actually impacting your health. Uh, I'm sure you've heard, you know, Elon Musk is talking about Neuralink. They want to implant technologies that essentially could be in the body that would connect us, you know, straight into uh, basically make us uh, uh, connect us to technology. And then there's also environmental uh, biometric monitors. A lot of people don't realize that, but there's devices you can put next to your bed that can monitor your sleep. They can be under your mattress. Uh, Amazon just actually announced this week that they got approval to do a radar-based sleep detection system that would just sit in your room and actually use radar to kind of detect your sleep stages and cycles. So there's a lot of this new predictive oh technology gosh. that's coming out. So can it also see ghosts? Yeah, but that, I guess so. I think my phone does that anyway. I say yeah. something and all of a sudden it's selling me something. Yeah, so, well, that's right? that's different tech. So so on that note, on that note, actually, um, a lot of people don't realize they actually have a biometric monitor in their house that they don't even realize that what it's doing. So if you have a smart speaker of any kind, yeah, uh, when you're, you're one of the more powerful um, analytical measurements that can now be done is voice analytics. So we can, through a person's voice, we can analyze their mood. We can analyze even things around cognitive ability and function, all just off the voice metrics. So your smart speakers are actually able to know how you're feeling based upon how you speak to them. Wow, what's next? Hey, you know, in my, in my, in my early days, uh, I worked in, in law enforcement and one of the programs I oversaw was uh, backgrounds. And we use VSA, voice stress analyzers, yeah. for exactly what you're talking about. But uh, man, we don't want that in our house because it'll flash red when I'm fibbing. So we can't let that happen, <laughs> right? Oh my well, gosh. I knew there was a reason I won't get a smart speaker. I yes. never, they listen to everything. And my phone is bad enough because same thing. And I'll be like, my boyfriend said something the other day about a resort down in Tucson that he wants to go play golf at. And now I'm getting ads on whenever I log into my Instagram. I'm like, why am I getting ads uh -huh. to this place? I've never looked it up, never talked about it. But because he said it out loud and my phone was close by, now it knows. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People don't realize that this, we're already embedded in this technology, whether you're wearing it, whether it's in your ambient environment. In fact, they actually already built camera systems that just off looking at you can estimate your heart rate, your HRV, uh, even things like, you, you know, all of your metrics just off a camera. So just off your face. Wow. So you could be on a Zoom wow. call. And they could, they could be running a system that be analyzing your biometrics just based upon your uh, your face and and the metrics it can extract from that. So this technology is already sort of em becoming embedded into the society, and people who are wearing it obviously are choosing to put it on their body and then yeah. sort of get those metrics for themselves. Oh so uh, Elias, uh, th that kind of leads me to a question. We're talking about smartphones. So what is the difference between a smartwatch? And a wearable. Well, smartwatches are a form of wearable, but they're not the only wearable that's available. So a lot of people are probably it's probably the biggest, you know, one that most people are familiar with. Uh, you know, your Apple watches, your you know, garments, uh, what have you. Uh, and and the thing about those smartwatches is that they are exactly that. They're kind of like a extension of your smartphone in the form of a watch. 
And so okay. they have some aspects of maybe health metrics or fitness metrics, but they're kind of also trying to be like a Swiss army knife to some degree, right? Cause they're also playing maybe your Spotify, answering your phone calls, you know, forwarding your texts. Uh, and then there's other types of wearables that don't even have a screen and don't even function as a watch. There's even a lot of people don't even realize there's wearables that have nothing to do with being worn on your wrist. They can be worn on your head. They can be clipped on your belt. They can be a patch that's worn on your skin. So there's a lot more to wearables than just smartwatches. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a lot of different choices, but is it helpful to wear more than one device? Like I know people can't see me, but outside of my scrunchie on my wrist here, I have a, a, a watch and then I have a device that does not have a face. Like, right. is it important health. to wear more than one? Do we need more than one? I do. I'm just like you, Jenny. I do the same thing. I wear a smartwatch during the day and I wear my health tracker, my bio strap uh, at night. And, and also, uh, you know, depending on the circumstance at different times of day. So yeah, the, the, that's maybe the thing that people need to recognize now is that the technology is still in its relatively early stages. So there is different use cases for different devices and even depending on the context and the use of the data that you're trying to extract. So, you know, there's a lot of companies that are doing health trackers without a face, you know, like we do that at Biostrap and we're, our current device is more focused on nocturnal metrics uh, and, you know, a lot of times people don't want to wear a big heavy watch to sleep, right? So that's why even I think those ambient sleep sensors exist. People, you know, say, oh, I, I just want the thing under my mattress. I won't even have to deal with it. Just will record my sleep yeah. that way. Uh, you know, and at Biostrap, we, we put it on the wrist and it's really non-invasive, very easy to sleep with. I couldn't sleep with a big smartwatch myself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so it, it's really, there's a lot, there's still a lot of choice and um, a lot to look into. And that's why, you know, it's kind of why we're doing this is there's actually a lot of education that needs to be done because there's so many offerings on the market today. Absolutely. So a question for Elias, there's so many things and we've touched on some of them like sleep quality a uh, little bit, you know, I mentioned heart rate variability, but what do you think uh, are some of the more important metrics for us to measure and monitor both as a, you know, a, a, a person that's wearing them and as a coach who's, who's you know, suggesting that our client uh, or athlete wear them. I mean, I think the top three are kind of sort of being used by many different companies in different ways or interpreted different ways. So sleep, I mean, has become kind of probably the you know, if you if you just read the literature today or just even look at the mainstream sort of media, you know, we've, we've been in this sort of go, go, go culture where, you know, a badge of honor has been like, I only sleep five hours a night so I can achieve so much in my life. And that has just flipped in the last, especially even during the pandemic, that's flipped. And people are starting because a lot of people started sleeping, too. And they started realizing, wow, like this could change my life. So sleep tracking uh, has really taken off, I'd say, in the last two or three years. Um, and then of course, tracking your workouts, your activity, you know, is also really impactful. Um, but then the new metric that's becoming really popular is this recovery. So even if you're doing sleep and activity, which a lot of devices do, not too many devices are doing recovery, which is usually kind of an HRV weighted metric, right? Uh, but that recovery score for trainers is really powerful. Uh, if they can apply it and, and have to kind of learn how that works. Absolutely. So you're mentioning a lot of devices. I have a question though, like how accurate 
are some of these devices. Like my watch that I wear, um, it no matter what I'm doing, I could have just done sprints. I did intervals on an air bike this morning with kettlebell swings for 30 minutes. And it told me I burned the same number of calories that it does when I like just do shoulders. Like you were doing kettlebell accurate. swings on the bike? Well, I mean, I got off the bike and did it. Oh, I did okay. intervals. <laughs> That'd be really cool. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I mean, oh, that's a very good point. Uh, that's kind of like maybe still a little dirty secret in the wearable industry is that, you know, the there is still the, the the wearable is one piece of the puzzle. Right. So you have the sensor itself that's on your body, but it's already based upon algorithms. Right. So you got the AI, the machine learning, uh, all of these different algorithms that are trying to take that sensor data and turn it into meaningful insights. And so depend it's kind of the quality of the algorithm this depends on the accuracy and also too you know this is kind of like ongoing research right now that the whole world is in like how do we get these things caloric burn right very hard to be perfect on caloric burn so right now if you unless you're using an fda cleared wearable that's specifically cleared for that unique claim there is no requirement for any wearable to be accurate in the mainstream mm. market so accuracy is kind of questionable. I mean, that's something at Biostrap we take very seriously. Yeah. And that's why we talk about our device being clinical accurate, clinically accurate. So you have kind of just really quick to just sort of talk about this. You have medical devices that are wearables, that there are some wearable medical devices, but they're cleared for very specific claims. And those have to be extremely accurate. And then you have sort of consumer devices, which are mass market, uh, and again, to be quite honest, brand name does matter here. I know there's a lot of inexpensive wearables flooding the market. Just keep in mind, if you're making health or training decisions off of those, be, be warned. You know, there's no requirement for them to be accurate. You're probably better off going with a brand name. Kind of you get what you pay for to some degree there. And then there's a couple health companies that are working to develop that are more focused on health metrics. And they're, they're kind of focused to be on the middle. So that maybe they don't have the FDA or full medical claim, but they're more focused on health metrics and they tend to be focusing on improved accuracy because maybe they're, they're trying to do things and really develop the algorithms around that. And they're, they're not trying to play your Spotify and be a texting device as well. Right, they're really yeah. focused on metrics. So those devices you can probably trust a little bit more. It's that time again, time for another ISSA rapid review. Here's what Jesus from Connecticut had to say about our CPT course. I've been with ISSA for over 10 years and I was able to be employed all this time, including through COVID-19. Great organization. Jesus, we're happy you're with us. Thanks for sharing. So that explains the, you know, I can remember clients with a, a wearable with a, with a strap and a, and a watch saying, Hey, the treadmill said I burned this many, but my watch says I burned this many. Right. Uh, so I, I, what I would always say is just use, you know, use your watch, but then use that as a, uh, a metric. So if you burn 500 a day, shoot for 550 tomorrow, don't worry about whether or not it's spot on. Does that sound about right? Yeah, you're absolutely correct. In fact, you, you can't even like, and we get a lot of, uh, I mean, I, because I'm in the space, I get a lot of like, you know, uh, partners or even posts. Sometimes I see where people are wearing like testing like five devices at once, you know, or <laughs> yeah. two devices on each arm and going for a run and, you know, showing the difference in like, you know, caloric burn and heart rate and step counts and all of these different things. And what you got to understand is it's really good. Most devices are quite 
accurate within themselves. But comparing device to device, you may get very different metrics. So really, you know, when you're looking at the, the main one that you use, you know, if you see day-to-day covariance, you're probably relatively accurate. Again, if it's a brand name and a quality product, you're probably relatively accurate with that device over time. So if you see, you know, heart rate data, uh, nocturnal heart rate data, for example, trending down because you're doing a lot of cardiovascular training, that's probably indicative of an actual change. Even though that device may not be perfect, if, as long as you're doing long-term measurements with that device and you see that trend, it's probably accurate that you're trending in that direction. Now, is the exact beat by beat perfect to like ECG gold standards in the lab? Hopefully, but the device is usually good to show you those trends. Does yeah. that answer your question? Yeah, yeah. And, 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 yeah, and we're on a, this is a podcast, but we're actually on a webcast right now. So I can see everybody. I just want everybody to know, you should have seen the look on Jenny's face <laughs> when, when Elias suggested wearing five wearables at one time. She was I just know, like, she was no, signing me like, up. It's not comparing apples to apples though. Cause if I like picture somebody with like 10 devices up their arm <laughs> and like I have darker skin and like where it is on your arm, my blood vessels aren't as superficial in certain places. The light that it emits will de- determine what it reads and how deep it goes through your skin. I have tattoos on my left forearm, like that can impair it. So I was thinking, I was like, well, that's not comparing apples to apples. Cause all things are not equal, <laughs> but I also like my device. Okay. So I have a whoop and I know we, I talked to Elias about getting a bio strap and I'm very interested in actually, but the longer you have some of these devices on, especially the more accurate ones, like yours is clinically accurate. Does it actually learn based on your metrics, the longer you have the device, or is that not really a thing? I mean, I think more, it's more like the more devices get more time with the public at large and their sample sizes get larger, I think they can build better algorithms, right? That's kind of how algorithm development machine learning work, that the more, the larger your sample size and the longer you're collecting that data, the more intelligent your system becomes. Your devices get to know you better for your individual algorithm. So devices like ours uh, or other devices that are giving you things like recovery scores, right? Yeah. Or sleep scores based upon your metrics. Usually those algorithms improve on your metrics to understand you over time. Um, so, you know, I've noticed, I've had a lot of p- feedback on our device at Biostrap where people say, you know, actually, as I've worn it, it's become a, a harder taskmaster. Like it's harder to get those, you know, 90 plus recovery scores yeah. over time because you're, we start to, the device starts to know for you to get a recovery score above 90 is like, this is what you, it takes for you to get there. And that becomes a harder target to hit over time. That makes sense. I, cause I do see that with mine. Yeah. Like I get my green recovery days on my device are few and far between anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I'll take that, yeah. And that, that will happen. That will definitely happen over time that it gets harder to hit those targets. And, and that's really though, that's, that's why I think this is so impactful for trainers because, you know, as a trainer, you know, we have this approach often. I mean, again, I come from a bit of a different era, but a lot of times you're looking at, you know, pushing your client every day, every time, you know, as hard as you can. I know that's changing in the industry, but the reality is, is if somebody comes in with a recovery score of a 30 based upon those HRV metrics, 
they should have a different training protocol than on a day when they have 90. And if you're not looking at that as a trainer, you're missing the most impactful thing you could be offering your clients that would maximize their gains and their success. Yeah. And, and, you know, a lot of trainers are not incorporated wearables to my knowledge. And this data is right there. You can now train every single client with the same data that Olympic level athletes are using. Right. And that was not possible five years ago. It's possible today. That's awesome. Dan, remember back when you used to train and you say, I could rest when I'm dead. <laughs> That's right. I'll sleep when I'm dead. I'll sleep when I'm dead. And, 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 you know, actually what Elias is describing was a big part of how I changed my training as I was measuring HRV and the wearable I had would lower and raise my zones based on what my HRV was that day. It also captured training load. Um, and I was, I became very anal about it, completely changed um, my training and what I was able to do um, in my athletic endeavors. It was huge. It was massive. That's the single probably greatest thing that, that, that I learned was how to incorporate the HRV, which we want to learn more about from you yeah. uh, into my, my readiness score and my, my, my ability to, to go hard or whether it was time to go easy. Yeah. And that's, and that's absolutely. And like I said, that's, you know, if you think about these top athletes, you know, they would be in a lab. I mean, you know, I don't know if anybody remembers, you know, like the Rocky movies, you know, where they, they had like, you know, their lab and they're hooked up to all this equipment and <laughs> doing all of these testings on these individuals to see, you know, how do you maximize their training? And well, that's basically what we're doing now, which is these little wrist worn devices, you know, or these small devices that on their people's bodies that we can capture that data and then optimize training protocols so that you kind of make, these, you know, sort of super powered uh, humans. And, and a lot of times people don't realize it's, it's actually that recovery-based training um, gets you great, greater gains, but you sometimes even work out a little less hard. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, yeah. you just, when you go hard, you go hard. You know, this is a day like we're, we're doing a personal record today. You know, if you can, if you did this last week in five minutes, you're going for four and a half today, like whatever it is you push. Those are the days you push, but the days when you ease off the brakes a little bit, or you ease off uh, and you get that recovery. And that just means that your body's going to adapt better over time. And you're going to get all of the things that people want, you know, bigger muscles, thinner waistlines, like all of these things. And with regarding waistlines, you know, if you're training when you're already under a stressful load for the day, you're activating cortisol. That cortisol, yeah. what, is, what does cortisol do? It builds fat stores, right? So you're, think about this for a minute. Your workout could increase your cortisol and build you belly fat. I mean, that's yeah. something people didn't really think about before that your workout could make you build your belly fat. Well, guess what? It can. Yeah. If you overdo it for sure. So let's talk about HRV because I love HRV too. I think it's super interesting, but what, for people who don't know, what is HRV and why would it be important to know? So it stands for heart rate variability, uh, and it's a, it's a measurement of the autonomic nervous system. So it's essentially the, the space in milliseconds between the beat-to-beat -beat intervals of the heart. So as you see your heart beating, you know, if you hear 60 beats a minute, people might think it's a beat a second, but it could be variate. There's a variation in the time schedule. So 60 beats a minute could be 1.2, 0 0.87, and so on. And that, that, uh, variation is essentially an analysis of the tug of war going on between the two branches of the autonomic nervous system, the ANS. Um, so getting a little technical here, but let's just finish no, going do down it. this road. <laughs> um, and so those two branches are your fight or flight and your rest and digest. 
And when you're healthy, those two systems are sort of in a tug of war that's dynamic. And that that dynamic tug of war shows up in a higher HRV. So higher HRV means that that tug of war is going on in a healthy way. And then yet when you get stressed, your HRV drops because you probably go more into sympathetic activation or fight or flight. So that would happen normally, right? We were facing stress all the time. So it could be personal stress, work stress, or training stress. So when you're training, your HRV will drop. That's okay. There's even people, uh, you know, again, going back to the Olympic example, you know, how fast does your HRV bounce back after training can also be insightful to where the body's adaption is, even to that particular workout. So if your HRV bounces back faster after cardio than resistance training, that tells us a little bit about how your system is optimized, right? So there's a lot of data to be gathered. uh, And HRV, you know, uh, is not just around training. I mean, it's predictive of, there's a lot of ongoing research about its predictability of, of different disease states but it's pretty well correlated with cardiovascular diseases already. Gotcha. So when you say higher HRV, you mean the space between my heartbeats is longer, right? Versus lower, shorter? No, it actually means that the the amount of variation, so coming back to that 60 beats a minute example, that there's a lot of variation in those intervals between those beats. So there's a higher variability right? So if you're beating like a metronome. Oh, it's inconsistent. I get yes. it. Okay. See, common misconception. Yeah. So if you're, if you're beating like a metronome, so if you were beating like once every second, like a metronome, if your heart was just beating like a metronome, then your HRV would be essentially zero because there would be no variation. You would just Got be it. beating like a metronome, which, which would happen. Like I'm sitting here talking to you, doing a podcast. If I suddenly stand up and sprint at my max effort, right? My HRV would drop essentially to zero right? Because I'm sprinting as hard as I can from a rested state. We expect your HRV to drop, right? But because my, my body's saying, I got to conserve resources. So I'm going to, I'm going to just turn every, you know, conserve resources, maximize cardiovascular strength, uh, you know, put, uh, send blood to the extremities so that you can run fight or flight, right? So I'm running and then your HRV will drop to essentially zero at that moment. And your heart will beat like a metronome. Then you stop running, how fast does that recovery come back? How fast is your HRV back rise to having a variation? Ah, see, and I, I'm glad you clarified that because I always thought it meant that the space, the time was longer, not that they were more consistent or less consistent. Yeah. Interesting. It's a variability metric, right? Literally about the variation between the beats. So how, you know, how well are they very, again, I think what you called it like inconsistent in a way. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a situation where inconsistency is representative of that diet, uh, like that dynamic relationship. Got it. I love it. The, the, the way that I was able to remember it, because it is confusing and it almost sounds opposite of what you want, is exactly what you just said, actually, Elias, is if you think of somebody walking at a casual pace, their stride rate, their stride length varies, their direction varies, their internal external rotation varies. There's a lot of varying when I walk, but if I start to jog, it starts to become a little more consistent. I have a little bit more of a pace, my stride rate and stride length start to tighten up and there's more consistency. And when I burst into a sprint, there's gonna be very little variability. My, my stride rate, stride length, uh, internal external rotation, my feet becomes very focused. One step looks just like the other. So that's high stress versus low stress. That was the way I was able to remember it because I always got that sucker backwards. Yeah. 
That, I love that example, Dan. Absolutely accurate. Yeah, because so again, just think about that. That, but that's how the body conserves resources, right? When I need to maximize, you know, resources, it's going to try to simplify things, right? And that so it simplifies stride rate, stride rate, and it also simplifies your your heart rate variability down to to create to create the maximize resources to the activity or the stressor. Fascinating. Gotcha. So there's a lot that goes into this HRV or any of the metrics that our wearables are collecting. How can a trainer make more money? Like bottom line, right? We're a trainer. We want to get paid. How can we make more money using these metrics or these devices? I mean, I personally believe that there's a huge market that is opening up now around sleep coaching, recovery-based training, um, you know, uh, even wearable coaching just around general lifestyle. I mean, you know, there's even now continuous glucose monitors, right? That can start yeah. to look, people can start look at dietary insights. So, you know, the technology is expanding very rapidly. Um, and I think the opportunities are there in terms of recovery-based uh, training. I mean, I, I was invited by SSA to write that chapter on wearable technology for the recovery certification. You know, yeah. there's, there's, there's new areas of fitness that are opening up. And also too, this opens up remote coaching. So if your client's at home and they're using a wearable and you can monitor their wearable, you can coach them straight through the wearable t- information. You no longer need to bring the, co- the client into your gym and train them physically. You know, I know a lot of people using wearable technology. They're in Australia, they're clients in Switzerland and they're coaching wow. them, you know, and I, I have a, a lot of people I know doing that. We have a lot of people in the Biostrap ecosystem. And I know a lot of trainers around the world doing that where now they've opened up their coaching business to globally and they're doing extremely well. Let me tell you, biometric coaching is exploding. So if you're not looking into this, you're missing an incredible opp- business opportunity as a trainer. You know, I didn't even think about it like that. I do have a couple of virtual clients. If they had wearable technology that I was tracking, I could actually like see if they did their workout because you can see their calorie burn differences. You could see where their heart rate. Oh, that's an accountability tool right there. Absolutely. Yeah. About, unless you put it on your chihuahua, like you can't lie about it. <laughs> my chihuahua and, got a lot of steps in. Yeah, right? I really did that. And, oh and my they, gosh, that's and, crazy. And they get better results, right? I mean, yeah. if they're recovering properly. So there's referrals and yeah, you're uh, going to improve your whole offerings and renewals. I mean, I think what's interesting is a lot of the trainers I'm talking to that are doing this because they're posting about this on Instagram or what have you, they're ending up acquiring clients internationally that come to them for their training programs. And now they can take them on. So like I said, I could be, you know, in the United States and have clients in seven, eight different countries. And, you know, I know a lot of influencers on social media that have been able to get a lot of new clients. In fact, a lot of them are expanding quickly. They actually can't even keep up with the demand. So there is a huge opportunity here. Uh, It's it's the future of fitness and wellness. If you're not jumping on it, you're missing the boat. Wow. Great point. I didn't even think about that. Well, thank you so much for all of your insight, Elias. It's been a great talk. Oh, my pleasure to be here. and, And thank you for having me back. Absolutely. Dan, any last words or last questions? I just want to say thank you. This was fascinating. And uh, for the listeners out there, rewind this, this podcast because there's so much opportunity in what Elias just shared with us. Absolutely. And Elias, we always like to give people your information. Where can they reach you or learn more about Biostrap? 
Uh, sure. Uh, just you can follow me. Uh, my main social media platform actually is LinkedIn these days. Nice. Uh, <laughs> fortunately, I'm the only person with my actual name in the world. It's pretty easy to find me. So Elias Erjan, uh, I have my own website dot com. Uh, find me on LinkedIn as well. Instagram and uh, Biostrap is the device that uh, I represent. And that's a great health wearable, very insightful for sleep and recovery training. And like I mentioned, a lot of trainers are currently using our device all over the world to train their clients with that recovery-based coaching. Nice. Awesome. Well, definitely check it out, you guys. Great information. Thank you so much, Elias. Thank you for being here with me, Dan. Thank you. As we always like to close out, guys, remember, don't forget to get your wearable and uh, make good choices. We'll be talking to you guys soon. Thanks, everyone. Stay healthy. Bye.